Hey folks, do you love gourmet coffee roasted on site for a reasonable price? Of course you do. The Roll Call Room Cafe imports coffee beans from around the world and roasts on site for the freshest coffee. Check them out at 17229 Wayside Drive, Dumfries, Virginia, 22026 or rollcallroomcafe.com to order coffee. Issues and views discussed on the Roll Call Room podcast are the sole opinions of the guest or host and do not reflect the views of any agencies or government offices. Persons discussed on the show may be fictional or exaggerated for comedic purposes. The Roll Call Room podcast is not responsible for any injuries sustained while listening, to include but not limited to busting a gut, laughing until you cry, nausea, crying until you laugh, butt hurt, alcohol poisoning, and a sudden and intense dislike for those named Steve. Please use caution while operating a motor vehicle as the podcast is not liable for any traffic violations or damage. This podcast is rated explicit and listener discretion is advised. If you cannot handle being told the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, please stop listening now. Epstein didn't kill himself. Success can be a lonely road. It can be a tough road. It can be a hard road. It's not for everyone. Those who follow others like sheep will never know who they truly are. Only those who follow their own path can discover their true potential. Those who fly alone have the strongest wings. Those who walk alone have the strongest direction. The rest will always be in need of others for their survival. They will always need attention, need recognition to survive. I am at peace alone, needing no attention, no recognition, and still I thrive. I'm not saying those who have support are weak. I'm not saying you must go at it alone to gain strength. This is just for those who have fought battles alone. Those who have felt like they don't fit in. Those who have never had support in anything they do. All of those who feel no one believes in them. You don't need them to believe in you if you believe in you. You don't need their support if you've got your own back. The best part is when you truly live the life you want to live, When you speak your truth, when you embrace who you are, then you gain real respect and real love. People love those who have the guts to be themselves. Those who have the courage to follow their heart. Why? It's rare. Why? Because most people wish they could do the same. Show them the way. Keep going. Believe in yourself. It will all come good in the end. And when it does, you won't have only inspired yourself to be more. You will have inspired so many others. I had to learn to fight alone. And because of that, I am strong alone. I am strong. 
full stop. I developed inner strength that can't be broken. I am unbreakable. Because of the pain, I am strong. Because of the struggle, I have character most will never know. I appreciate others more than ever. I have more compassion than ever. I had to go deep into the darkness. Now I have more depth. Now I can see clearer. I had to face huge internal challenges. Now I can defeat any challenge. I will destroy every challenge. I am proud of who I have become. I am proud I have overcome. I am proud I kept going. I am proud of who I am, who I've become. I am proud I stayed true to myself because now I can live as myself with respect from others and most importantly, pride and respect from myself. And welcome to the Roll Call Room podcast that pissed off shitbag Steve Commanders and cost my daddy his job and then pissed them off yet again with his number one book, Mental Health Barricade on Amazon. And now your host, my Uncle Mike and best-selling author, my daddy. Fuck you, Commanders. Up your ass. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Roll Call Room Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Nick. Mike is off today. He is getting liquid chocolate removed from his body from eating too much. And he is out riding a motorcycle right now. And uh, we really, really hope that he's okay. So, Mike will not be on today. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Mike, 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 Mike. We miss you, Mike. With me, though, in studio is a very, very special guest and uh, near and dear to my heart, the one and the only Lauren. Lauren, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. We have been planning this for quite a while. Uh, some backstory, folks. Uh, just, just to be clear real fast, I'm not Mike Davis. 
Okay. Um, neither am I, uh, <laughs> although those who seem to think I am. Uh, only people from our former agency would get that joke. Um, but folks, uh, I gave a little bit of away, just uh, gave it away a little bit. Um, Lauren is from my old agency, um, recently uh, no longer with that agency. A very, very um, interesting story, to say the least, about his departure. Um, his and mine are almost uh, similar in the way in which uh, it ended. Um, Lauren has agreed to come onto the show, uh, not to join the bandwagon of mine of uh, calling out my old agency, but um, to tell his story. And there are tons and tons of people out there that have experienced the same thing from their agencies. Uh, and we can only give you the tools to uh, judge good leadership from bad <laughs> leadership and which direction we went that we thought was wrong, where you can hopefully avoid those landmines. Uh, a brief, brief history on Lauren. Uh, Lauren was a police officer with uh, my old agency for 12 years. Uh, in that career, he um, was on patrol. Uh, he worked many different shifts on patrol. And then he went to the school resource unit where he was a school resource officer in um, the only high school that we had in our jurisdiction. Um and uh, one hell of an SRO um, uh, from one from when I was there. Um, two tours. Two tours. I like that. <laughs> two tours in that high school. Um, rough high school. Um, not a good high school because a lot of the students that went there weren't even from the the city that we worked in. They were bussed in from D.C. and Maryland, and um, you know, constant fights and stuff like that. Um, some really awesome videos to watch that uh, Lauren would clip <laughs> of fights in the lunchroom, which were hysterical. Um, then uh, Lauren went back to patrol, um, where he then took uh, the process to get into motors. Um, Lauren had never ridden a, a motorcycle, didn't have a motorcycle license. I remember him coming to me and telling me he was going to put in for motors. I thought he was absolutely bonkers. Um, so did everybody else. So did everybody else. And um, much to everybody's surprise, um, he got into motors and loved it. Loved it. And um, I, I will tell you that I have some personal experience with Lauren because I supervised him when I was a sergeant. Um, uh, some good times, some bad times. <laughs> uh, we'll get into those uh, those stories later. Those stories, but by far, Lauren was not a. Um, a troubled officer. When I what I mean by that is is that every group that I went to, there was always an officer that required an immense amount of special care because they were a problem child. Uh, Lauren was not a problem child, um, and Aww. yeah, and it was very obvious when I had taken over one of the groups um, when I had gotten his squad file, and he's gonna he's gonna nod and agree in this, which is. Um, I got his squad file and, and generally your squad file is it has your personal accomplishments in there. It might have some, you know, verbal counselings here and there, but for the most part, it's pretty thin. Like it, it's the bare basics. It's basically just to, you know, kind of help you when you do the person's yearly review. You're out of boys. Yeah. You're out of boys. And, and so maybe so, a couple of disciplinary, like, you know, uh, you know, I'm not going to write you up, but I'm going to write this in your squad file. And if it happens again, then we'll go to paper. Lauren's uh, squad file was two one-inch thick 
manila folders. And generally what I do when I would take over a group as a, as a sergeant is I would spend a good portion of my time. I was not an office dweller, right? No. Right. So, um, Lauren worked with me. He knows that right out of roll call, I, I would, you know, jump out on the street. Well, first we did Starbucks, then we did. The right. Well, I do. We did, we did team building, which is right out of roll call. Well, the entire group went to Starbucks and, and we kind of chilled out for 45 minutes to an hour, <laughs> maybe even longer. But, um, so what I would do is I would get in early and I would start going through squad files because you can learn a lot about somebody from their squad file, good and bad. What struck me about Lauren's squad file was is the amount of hatred and vindictiveness um, uh, a commander that supervised him, or it was a sergeant, I believe, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, how she had this deep-rooted hatred for Lauren. Um Policies like the social media policy, um, uh, the social media policy where um, we never, ever enforce that. We never enforce. There's so many officers that were on Facebook with their uniforms on, with pictures, with their family and stuff like that. And Well, it was a relatively new policy that had just come out, and it was extremely restrictive. It was right, right. no room for nothing. Right. And, and nobody really challenged it because... It was a goofy kind of policy anyway. It basically said that you couldn't uh, post pictures on social media of you in uniform without the written explicit consent of the department, which is bonkers. Just bonkers. It takes the pride away from you wearing your uniform. You couldn't say who you worked for. You, you couldn't, couldn't yeah. post anything. You could Cars, post, buildings. Yeah. Couldn't post anything. Couldn't say, hey, you know, I'm at court today or any, any of that crap. I and work for an undisclosed, uh, <laughs> yeah, I work for an undisclosed location. I mean, it's just goofy, but they could put your picture up on fucking Facebook and, you know, uh, Instagram all day long and you can't, you can't do the same. It's just goofy. And I understand where they're coming from because you do have people that kind of, you know, the TikTok generation where these officers, you know, fucking pose half naked in their fucking shirts, their uniform shirts. Take it easy, buddy. Um, <laughs> But it was very obvious to me um, that there was some personal vindictiveness and personal hatred towards um, towards Lauren. Um, and I can tell what the reason for it was. Um, Lauren, can you enlighten us as to what that reason would be? <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell your story. Well, you're doing such a great job at it. Yeah, once you unleash this part, then I then I can get back into it. I would have to say, um, but I talk about coming out to the whole world. Um, <laughs> um, I seven countries. Yeah, great. Um, yeah. I am an openly gay officer. Mm -hmm. um, you are? I am. Yes. When did this happen? Um, probably when I was like 30. Oh, okay. I don't know. A little bit earlier. Well, so 20 years ago. Oh, ouch. 15. <laughs> Well, and and I didn't want to I didn't want to out and out you and say that, but it was very obvious because what Lauren had gotten written up for at was the, your time, wedding. Uh, well, before that, I was advised um, by a dear friend who was also um, uh, gay mm -hmm. um, supervisor. He pulled me into his office and we had this long conversation once, and he kind of beat it around the bush a little bit about it. And um, I was sitting there, kind of like, "Why am I here? And what is this conversation about?" And mm -hmm. uh, He's like, don't worry, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gay too. And I'm like, okay, why am I still sitting here? Mm -hmm. He's just, he kind of told me, he's like, you're the only 
out gay male officer in the entire department. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody else really identifies as um, male wise that uh, there's anybody else that was gay. And he says, you're, you're basically flying the flag. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want this flag. That's You're, scary. You can have this back because it's that's not me. I'm I come to work, I do my job, mm-hmm. just like everybody else. That's how I want to be treated. I don't expect any special privileges, nothing. But apparently, that had that stigma put on me right away. Yeah, yeah. And I remember, um, I remember. This goes back. So, I was in Miami at the time. I was at a conference. Uh, I was still an officer. I hadn't gotten promoted. And, um, an officer that we all worked with, uh, unfortunately committed suicide, uh, had a, had a, uh, a lot of demons, a lot, a lot of demons. And I remember, um, Lauren posted a very innocent, uh, post and that created a, uh, a, a faction of anti Lauren people and pro Lauren people in the department. It really split that department in half at that time because there were people that had deep hatred towards you because you were a gay male. It was very obvious that they were bigots, um, that they had some personal issues with your, your lifestyle. And they took this opportunity with that suicide, uh, to attack you. And it had nothing to do with the officer killing himself. It had everything to do with uh, what you represented. And I stood with you with that because I saw right through it. It it was a mixture of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, with a ringleader and all who was my friend at the time was, yeah. But were they really at any time, you know, I've learned through my experience, were they really your friend anyway? <laughs> I don't know. Well, and we'll get into it a little bit later about how thin the thin blue line is lately. Um, uh, I, I, I know I'm, I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm trying to tell this story to all of you that are listening to this because I, I mean, I've got probably 18 episodes under my belt of doing nothing but bashing my old department and, you know, toting the flag that they're corrupt and that, that the process in which that they, uh, distribute discipline and they force people out is corrupt. Um, and now I have somebody in this studio that has experienced it. And I watched him go through it the last like month. And it made me sick because when you're going through it, you don't recognize, you don't see what's going on. But watching you go through it brought back a lot of emotions last year for me because I knew that they were railroading you. I knew that they were fucking, they were going to take every opportunity to nail you to a fucking wall. And they don't, they don't care. They don't care what it does to your mental health. Um, all these people that were your friends that you hung out with, that you went to coffee with things you did for them. No, because you've said this to me before, how when you separate yourself from the department that, you know, nobody keeps in touch with you. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I had friends that we would text all the time. We would, you know, do stuff. And I can honestly tell you that not one person has I mean, maybe one or two have reached out or mm-hmm. I've reached out to them and mm-hmm. had lunch with them and met with them or our friends, good friends. That I know that I have, but, um, nobody's called, nobody's reached out. Nobody's checked in. Nobody's done nothing sad. Yeah. And the, well, and the sad part is, is that I don't know if it's sad, but it's the it's, truth. It's the truth. But the thing about it is, is that, um, everybody knows in law enforcement rumors 
it's like high school. It's like high school. It is it's worse than being a school resource. Officer. Okay. I mean, you were there, you were still there when I left. Yes. And the amount of rumors that were going on about my department. The second time. Yeah. The second time. First, <laughs> first time, time I left on my own. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the second time eh, I was shown the door, I guess you can say. Um, but the amount of rumors that were flying around in that place on my departure and uh, the very few people, I would say maybe three people I still stay in contact with, um, were like, you know, this is what's being said about you. And it was so far from the fucking truth. <laughs> and and <laughs> we're, you know, like, we're police officers. We're truth seekers. But that doesn't matter internally. Like, when you disappear, like, when you leave an agency, the stories that they come up with are so... Egregious, and these are, these are the same hypocrites that that ostrac that admonish the press for not getting the story right about law enforcement, but yet they do it to their own internally. Because I can only not that I can only imagine, because I've had people reach out to me because they know I'm friends with you, and say, "Well, you know, did you hear what Lauren did?" And I said, I, "I always say the same thing: Have you spoken to him? Have you gotten the word straight from the man? Because I've gone through that." And it's not fucking fun. And I could tell you right away that that rumor is not fucking true. And the funny part is, is where do those rumors start from? It starts from the Office of Professional Responsibility, which literally makes me want to throw up when I say that out loud <laughs> because they're not professional and they have no responsibility. And the last episode I, I, I alluded to it, which is I put a FOIA in for my security clearance and I got my security clearance for you back and the amount of untruthful and egregious things that were said about me in that federal document on that federal document that were slander all in the name of preventing me from getting another job was downright despicable. And I didn't think that I can think less of that place more than I had. Well, we had the dispatcher that had the same problem too. Mm -hmm. They have a, a long history mm -hmm. of doing that. And you have a city manager and a mayor. It's just a puppet. Well, the, the, the emphasis about this episode, and I have been um, wanting to talk about my experience for a long time. We've, we've been talking about that from like the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, but as as my situation continued and, and um, developed and the things I went through, uh, we just it, it wasn't really the right time. Yep. Um, but one of the issues, one of the disciplinary issues I had um, had to deal with social media. Mm -hmm. um, my sergeant came to me and he, he showed me a picture. And, and, and after, well, to, let me back up a little bit to kind of give the story a little bit. Um, what, what Nick was alluding to after the uh, the suicide issue um i i, I my husband and i got married mm. um and it was a small congratulations <laughs> please Jackets. please continue <laughs> <Fuck> you. <laughs> we'll get to that <laughs> um so we um we got married we small small ceremony just a handful of people who was in dc um i was you know, I, I wore my uniform mm. and my husband was a police officer in the, in the district and, and he wore his uniform and um, we, it was just a simple ceremony. And um, it, it, it was beautiful. My, you know, my mom was there. Of course, everybody took pictures and 
the whole social media policy is that you couldn't post anything online, this, that, whatever. Um, my mom had posted the pictures online of our wedding mm-hmm. and, uh, what, you know, she tag you in them. She tagged me in them, which automatically yep. shows up in your feed. And, yep. and the way the policy was written, you know, it, you have to be cautious that family members might post pictures of you. You don't have any control over that because right. that's not your, you know, you're not them. Um, just be mindful that if it shows up, that that's, that's there, but, but it was allowed. Mm-hmm. So of course I got written up for the pictures being on my wall and the assumption that I had posted them and the whole nine yards. So I had, I had, I had shut down my Facebook page. I, I was just, I was just completely done with everything between that and the issue that we talked about the suicide and all that stuff. So, um, my husband had a page and, and, um, you know, he, he had retired, um, medically. So he had a ceremony and I was given permission to go there on duty to attend. I was in uniform and he had posted a picture that we had taken, um, me in uniform and him, um, you know, at receiving his, his badge and everything else. Well, my sergeant, and he had posted it on his Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It's all under his name, his email. I have no ties to it. Yes, I have, I can log into it as a spouse should, you know, as you share things. But, um, sergeant came out to me and said, uh, had that picture printed out and he said, um, what, why, you know about this. You shouldn't have this on, on your social, on your Facebook page. I'm like, that's not my Facebook page. He said to me, he goes, well, it's assumed that you have access to his page. So therefore you would have posted the picture. Unbelievable. And I looked at him, I I said, we're police officers. I said, you're going to accuse me based on an assumption (laughs) that I did something wrong. If I was to go out and arrest somebody from a homicide, just on an assumption that I think that they did it, we we don't do that. You couldn't even get a a warrant for assumption. Right. We have to do an investigation. We have to find the truth and the facts and, and everything else. Why are you disciplining me for an assumption? So yeah, it's because they can, <laughs> well, I got a whole story about what they, because can they do can and what they yeah. did. And, 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 and so this puts us back to when I first got Lauren, uh, his squad file was two, two folders. And generally what I would do, and those of you that are thinking about getting promoted or you just got promoted, you should always do a touch base within the first week that you're, you've taken over a group. One by one, you don't, you do a group one. The first day you take over a group, you say, Hey, you do the whole fucking normal thing, which is, Hey guys, don't get scared. I'm not going to change anything. Right. I want you to work hard. I'm here for you. All that bullshit. That's not what I heard. Right. Right. (laughs) And then what you do is you pull them in one by one and you go over what's in their squad file and you say, you know, what's your aspir? If you're a good leader, you say, what's your aspirations? What do you want to do with your career? What can I help? To facilitate that what training do you want to go to that i can help you with um i've read some of your reports i see you doing this or i see you doing that and then i would try and steer my employees my officers to do for lauren it was a little bit different i had purged everything into one folder and i still remember this and you walked in and i slid the folder across the table and i said this was everything that was in your squad file Half, and, the shit, half the stuff that was in there, I didn't even know it was in there. Well, and that's that's the worst part is, is I said, I don't want it in here. It's not, I didn't make copies of any of this stuff. You have a absolute clean slate. Well, mind you, about half the stuff that was in there was over two to three years. Correct. But also should never have been in there because I had read the investigations and I had probably violated the two write-ups for the social media thing. I've probably violated that at least two dozen times. Never, ever has anybody ever turned around and said anything to me about it. There, 
because um, it it's the double standard. It's well, it's it was a huge double standard because when I when I got the uh, the write up for the for the wedding pictures, I had gone through because I was I had friends I had friends with just about everybody, and I screenshotted over two hundred and sixty profile pages that had pictures of those officers in uniform doing whatever they were doing, you know, right there out in the open. I mean, there was one with a girl behind a bar with a uniform shirt on half open and this and that. I'm just like, but yet I can't put my wedding pictures. Yeah. And, and, and so, so just to touch base on that, um, I was advised that they were only going to write me up for the, for the social media. That was the only thing that they were looking at. And I was like, you know, whatever the final write up was violation of the social media policy and violation of the uniform policy. So I got written up for getting married in uniform because I didn't ask permission. I, I mean, but you know, you're not, th that agency is not alone because there are probably, you know, a hundred officers right now that are identifying with that sitting in their cruiser and they're like, yep, my fucking department's the same way. So how do you take pride in your profession when you can't even take pride in being in your uniform and displaying it? Well, it, it's, it's, military other other police agency how many people take honor in take honor in getting married and wanting to do it in their uniform yeah. i mean that that's 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 a pride thing that that's something that absolutely that everybody does and i mean a co-worker had just gotten married a couple months prior to me and he was in his uniform he never got written up for it yeah i i just i i don't understand that it was very obvious that 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 there was there well, were people that that's when i knew that the, the the when you said that the faction that 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 started um it was about a month prior to yep, that yep um it, it ran deep and well it, it not only ran deep but when i took over supervising you but one, it, it got to the point where i literally felt that if i was on the street not on a traffic stop that certain people would not have my back and that's scary back me up. it is that's scary and that's i felt i felt isolated i felt ostracized i felt alone yeah. um because again i was the only male officer and and here i am i mean i, I couldn't say that this person blatantly said xyz mm -hmm. but i mean i felt it it's their actions I, yeah i felt it every day well and it was interesting because when i took over the group and i took over you one person in particular uh, a, a certain female um who i think was still a sergeant at the time I don't think that she had gotten promoted yet had come to me and wanted me. And mind you, I had taken your side with the, the suicide post. And this person had some deep hatred towards me as well and wanted me to jump on anti Lauren bandwagon. And I wasn't, I wasn't getting a part of that. I, I, I supervise based on performance. I supervise based on um, how well you do your job and, and, and all that stuff. And being your supervisor was definitely, it was challenging. It, very, no, <laughs> not in a challenging sense where you were out of control. It was challenging because the easier thing for me to do would have been to jump on that bandwagon. And I, I don't know how other, other than to say it this way, which is just destroy you, just destroy you as your supervisor. You have immense amount of ability, as you can tell from your previous two, the scumbags um <laughs> that you have an immense amount of power to uh fuck with somebody fuck with somebody career. really really bad and uh, and drive them to a point where you want to drive them out of the department you right. want to make them quit right yeah 
And, um, I hadn't, I hadn't suffered from mental health at that point yet, at least not that I can remember or recognize because I was still loving the job. I still loved being a supervisor. It wasn't until you, after, after you walked out of the tunnel, it fell into the, into, into we'll the get tunnel. into that story. All right. <laughs> um, but the, the, you know, it tested me as a, as a sergeant because I took the road of why I became a sergeant. I took, I took the sergeant's process, not because of money, because it definitely was that time. No, yeah. You were just a P. Yeah. I was P3? a, I was a police officer too, when two, I got yeah. promoted, yeah. which was stupid. But you were on the list for three, which made you or something like that. Yeah. It, but was, it was stupid. early. I, and, I fucked myself yeah. over with pay, yeah. but it wasn't about the pay. It was, you wanted uh, to change the world. I wanted to infiltrate the command staff and I wanted to make change the department and, and make a difference. And as corny as that sounds, but it also was because I had a really shitty supervisor three fucking times in a row. The you, same fucking idiot. You kind of had the same target on your back that I did. At, oh, at that time. I had a huge fucking target on my back. So that's how we connected. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you're definitely not good looking. No, no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, you guys have seen it. Um, but, but I, I think it definitely taught me, um, to be a better supervisor because I tried to shelter you and steer you away from the drama and have you just focus on your job, just focus on doing a good job. And, you know, I, I still remember the, con I don't remember very many conversations one-on-one -on -one with people in my, when we were in my office, but I remember yours because I said, what you have is you have a PR problem. Do you remember me telling you that? Vaguely. Yeah. I said, your problem is you have a PR problem. You need six months of no publicity inside of this department to make it go away. And in hopes that somebody else becomes the new target. Now you remember that? Yeah. That, yeah. Now yeah. you remember that because I said my job shit will blow over and somebody right. else will take the spotlight. And, and I said, what we're going to do is we're going to give you high profile projects for you to do and knock out of the fucking park and it'll outshadow. But little did I know I was so naive that it, the hatred was so deep that it ran from the top all the way down. And, I, and, and this was a different chief at the time too. Yeah. This yeah. was a very different chief. Uh, I didn't have an issue with this chief, but I know that he was very, he was influenced by, by people and people that he was afraid of, um, particularly deputy chiefs. It was, um, it was his, as the current chief explained to me, it's his, it's his food chain that is. Yes. And he didn't want to taint that food chain. Uh, so listen, we're going to take a, our first break, uh, and then we're going to come back and then we're going to continue the story. All right, folks. Stand by and we'll be right back. Yeah, really? I put this on. <laughs> as long as you don't play YMCA, we're good. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck. I got to take that off the playlist. All right, folks. We'll be right back. Remember signing the release? <laughs> Gee, I am very tired. How tired are you? Very tired. I've been working a lot of overtime, and it is making me very tired. You, my friend, need some sleep. No, I will sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> what I need is a good cup of freshly roasted gourmet coffee. 
Freshly roasted gourmet coffee, you say? Yes. Do you know where I could get a cup of freshly roasted gourmet coffee? I do. Where? The Roll Call Room Cafe. The Roll Call Room Cafe? The Roll Call Room Cafe. It's located at 17229 Wayside Drive in Dumfries, Virginia. The Roll Call Room Cafe uses only the finest premium gourmet beans and, unlike national chains, the Roll Call Room Cafe imports, roasts, grinds, and packages their coffee on site. Sounds delicious, Roland. It is. But Roland, I'm in Nebraska. No problem there. You can order their coffee online at www.rollcallroomcafe.com. Rollcallroomcafe.com? Rollcallroomcafe.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from break. All right, Lauren, Lauren, you're doing really good, buddy. Don't get don't get nervous. All right. Um, by the way, this is uh, Lauren's first time in the studio. Um, he is a regular here at my uh, cafe. Literally lived across the street. <laughs> yeah, and uh, drinking some wonderful coffee. How do you like your coffee, bud? It was, oh, I love it. Yeah, you love it. I do. Good. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, you can get it at rollcallroomcafe.com. Um, what's funny is, is uh, in between commercial break, I went to use the restroom. Um, not you sure. Put that out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just. <laughs> My fa- the no, fans, no are, listen, the fans are our family, all right? They've been with us through my meltdown, uh, through my self-destructive period. <laughs> They've been through it all. So uh, so I go to the bathroom, and I had um, installed an automatic soap dispenser because I like those. So they're touchless for COVID. Um, you know, and I have liquid dial soap in there because I like the way that that smells. So I go up to the sink, and on the sink is Christmas cookie Bath and Body Works soap. Because it was really cheap right now. No, no. My, I just came out of the bathroom and I said to my wife, I said, I was like, uh, oh, I'll get it. Um, I said, uh, did you put Christmas cookies, the soap in there? She's like, yeah, I really like it. I was like, it's fucking February. What the fuck? I have, um, I have sugar cookie and Christmas hand sanitizer in the car because my husband Of course buy you do. Them. Of course you do. Tons of them because they were on sale. Of course. Yeah. Of course. What are you trying to infer there? (laughs) That you love flavorful things. Um, So uh, when we left, we were talking about, um, we're talking about, uh, you know, me supervising you and, and, and basically talking you up. Um, You know, when we went to break, I said, you know, this is definitely going to have to be a two parter because in order for you to tell the, the complete and whole story, I think the first episode I really wanted um, you know, I really wanted, um, you to, to identify, or I wanted people to identify with you first. Well, the, um, like I said before, um, when we were talking I guess years ago about doing the podcast, yeah. I had asked you if, or 
gave you came up with the idea of have we ever done a um an episode for lgbtq mm-hmm. plus whatever it is now um episodes because i i um <clears throat> one of the things that i've always i always thought was that we deal with mental health and you and i've had this conversation before and, and mm-hmm. i was really big into supporting that supporting you know mental health programs right when you came under the union you like you wanted me to be like a mental health coordinator or something mm-hmm. like that and then i um also met with the chief who at the time i thought i had a good relationship with um and we talked a lot about like mental health we talked mm-hmm. about um spousal support yep um because it's it's you know not only are you dealing with what's going on your spouse your family your kids are also dealing with the same thing but in a different manner because they are on that side and obviously police officers when you come home you we have the dark sense of humor and we don't really want to talk about our shit or our day or something whatever happened we got to process it first mm-hmm. and um one of the things that, that that i was thinking about was that you know not only do we have the stressors of the same thing that every other officer out there does or first responder does you know doctors ems and firefighters and stuff like that um we have the additional stress of being who we are yeah and a lot of like a lot of you know females and i'm I'm not going to stereotype but there's there's more females that are that are out that that identify and they don't they don't care because you know whatever um males tend to not be so out yeah um and they want to keep that a secret and that's perfectly fine um like can said, you blame them? No, not at all. I, I, again, I don't. I don't change who I am between work and go home. I don't go home, take off the uniform, put on you know rear clothes, whatever. I, I'm I'm me. I love hockey. I love playing with my kids. I I, I, um, I love doing exercising things and, and stuff like that. You know, shooting basketball hoops in a in, in a driveway and so on. Um, but I always wonder because because our department did not have or does not have any support for anybody that's LGBT. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have like a, we had a support group that came up for women and they would meet once a month and, mm-hmm. and so on, but we didn't have anything to support LGBT. And there was a, a conference that was coming up last year, right around March or April-ish. And uh, it was for LGBT liaisons, how the department can be liaison with the community and how to, to build a liaison unit. And um, I put in for it. It was right down here in Virginia Beach, an overnight conference, mm-hmm. and the uh, sent the chain, the letter up the chain of command, and everybody on the chain co- commented that we don't have anything. This, mm-hmm. this this is a great idea. So the chief approved it, and he said to me personally, he goes, you know, when you get back from the conference, I want to sit down, I want to talk to you because I really want to look into this project, this this program. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it it got canceled due to COVID, and we never yeah. we never went. But uh, um, I always said to myself, there's no support for officers out there that are like me and like if if i was if they were injured or something was to happen to them like like who do you call yeah you know if, if you're not out and, and you list like your best friend as, as your emergency contact or your parents or or something like that but you have a significant other who's going to let that significant other know and, and i think you and i had this conversation mm-hmm. when we when i was on on the on your group um you know if I, something was to happen to me there were only a select few people I want to call my husband to let them know that I was injured or something happened. I didn't want the watch commander. I didn't want this person making that phone call because if, if that, that sergeant that we were talking about earlier was to make that phone call, my husband would, would (laughs) drag her through the phone or something like that. So, um, but that's something we had to worry about. Well, I made it a point to make sure that I got to know my officer's spouses too. And, And that added stress, 
on mm-hmm. top of everything else. And, and, and I know that, you know, the population of the, or the growth of the podcast is phenomenal. Um, there, I know that there's LGBT officers out there now mm-hmm. who probably sit there and wonder the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and especially in smaller towns or smaller agencies, again, what, what support do you have? What, what emotional support or guidance, or like you said, one of the biggest things when this all started, this podcast started, you're like officers out there are like, wow, that, 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 that's how, that's what's happening to me. I'm mm-hmm. going through that. I, and then it's a relief to sit there and say, well, I'm not the only one that has to deal with this or I'm not the only one that thinks the about only, this. In our department that happened. Yeah. When, when the original co-host and I started the, the show, him and I would, uh, he worked on the opposite side of me and we would text each other. Like when the show started to really blow up and he was like, he goes, so-and-so just came up to me and said, you know, that they thought about killing themselves the other day in the locker room. And it was, so, it would be people, Lauren, it would you be people. I never, mm-hmm. I, it, you know, I remember one in particular, this female officer, oh man, I'm, I'm getting chills on my, on my arms thinking about it. This one female officer uh, pulled me into the conference room and she turned around and she said that she was at a party at our association hall. And um, they get pretty, I mean, you know, they get pretty loaded at, you know, on off days. Mm-hmm. This is not on duty. And they got pretty loaded. And a fellow officer that we all work that we work with, Lauren, raped her. And she told me about it. Would be the first time. Yeah. And she was having a really, really rough, rough, rough time. Really rough time. And I put her in contact with uh, a couple of resources that I, that I, luckily was able to get through this podcast and I've never told that story before. And the only one that knew about it was me and the original co-host because, um, I was the vice president of the union. He was the president and I called him up and I said, I was like, you know, it puts you in a, it puts you in a tough spot because you still are a law enforcement officer and you are a mandatory reporter. Mm -hmm. And with that, you need to balance the delicate, nature of it which is is the trust um and she could she probably held on to not probably she held on to that for over a year and the worst part about it is is that this scumbag worked on her group so she had to see this piece of shit every fucking day at work but what i want to go back uh what just, i want just to touch one little story on, on that one I, there's an officer who um called me one night and said that uh who who is um, I guess, um, bisexual, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, they called me and they, they, they said to me, they said that if, if anything was to happen to them, they would want me to say who that person really was and, and, and kind of, you know, tell the truth about it. And I was just like that. I was like, wow, like, like that. And I said, yes, obviously I, I respect this person mm-hmm. and, and, and I love him like a brother, you know, um, but I, I was just blown away by, there was a certain amount of trust there. Yeah. And I, that's kind of what, what I kept thinking about. I was like, why can't other officers, why can't we have that trust in, even if it's one or two people, just to give that officer a little bit less stress. Mm-hmm. My plan, um, had I have gotten promoted to Lieutenant was to revamp the entire peer support team 
which I think was a fucking joke. It was an absolute joke, especially after what I had gone through what I had gone through. Um, my plan was, is that everybody in the department needed to be on the peer support team. And then what you do is everybody picks a battle buddy. Mm-hmm. Everybody picks that one person that if God forbid something happens, they're the one kind of like what happened with, uh, with Nikki, with me. Um, I assumed the role. I took care of everything between the department and her family, contrary to what her, her dad says. Um, you know, I took care of a lot of things for her. I got her paid I, all these, all these things. Mm-hmm. Instead, what the peer support team is, is a team. It's a team of 10 to 15 people. I can't remember how many. And when there's a crisis, you go to a list of people, and those are the people that you are allowed to talk to. It, it was it was designed to more or less mimic or mirror the CISM. Critical Incident Scene yeah. Management, which is a fucking joke. Which is also. a team that Yeah, which is, is a joke right. because they don't honor confidentiality, uh, nor are they, they supposed to, which I didn't even know. Uh, which is is that a lot of these peer support teams and CISM groups are not protected under Garrity. Meaning, if you get into a shooting and they show up on scene and they're in the back seat with you and you turn around and you go, I didn't see the gun. I I, I, I didn't I didn't see, you know, I thought he had a gun. They're they're they are mandated by the department to testify or to, to write a statement on statements that you made. When I was going through the most recent last part of my career shit shit storm with yeah. the department um yeah no I, I i and i want to say this with all sincerity i i love the people that are on our peer support team i think they're mm-hmm. phenomenal people mm-hmm. um and i don't fault them personally mm-hmm. i fault the the program yeah in the way the program is managed um it's broken it, it is and um i sat down and you know they wanted to check in with me after my whole day in internal affairs and um, just wow, kind of see how got that. I didn't. And, um, so I, I told him everything that was going on. Well, everything that I said that was, you know, and I, I don't want to get into the, the, the nitty gritty of, of, of all of it, but, um, I told them, you know, what the accusations were, what was said and this and that. And the next day, um, that was given to II. It was reported to II and I'm sitting there going, you know, and so when I was in, in um, inter- interrogated, um, it was, they were coming at me with such hostility that you made the statement to the peer support team and she, you know, they had to report it Unbelievable. and I'm sitting there going and I get it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it's, like you said, there's no confidentiality. There's no protection. There's no nothing. So that's, a, that's, that's it. And, and the reason why it, it, one of the reasons why it failed and I told them this, I said, I said you know, the very first phone call I made to them, because I, I was, I got to the point where I, my personal life and my, my professional life were at this point just intertangled. I try to keep it all separate and try to be professional and everything else, but uh, it, it just became overwhelming. And um, so I reached out to them saying, I, I, you know, I'm having issues with my chain of command, my supervisors. I, I, I don't feel comfortable calling them because I have to call out sick because my kids are, mm-hmm. you know, there's something going on at home. And, you know, they were very helpful. I was like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call your lieutenant. We'll call your sergeant. We'll take care of that. You take care of what you got to do. You know, use this resource, use that resource. And, and I, I, they, they made a comment that a lot of officers don't use that resource because there, there's a fear of retribution. (laughs) And, and and I said to them, no such thing. And I I said to them after the fact, 
I said, I really appreciate you being there for me, listening to me and, 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 and coaching me and, and, and helping me through this and, and taking care of the things that I was having troubles with at that time. I said, but in the end, it, it, it didn't do me any help. Yeah. Nothing at all. And, and, and that's why officers are afraid to speak mm -hmm. and they're afraid to go seek help. Now you made a comment on, um, the one episode, I don't know if it's the last one or the one before that, the one we were talking about the Titanic. <laughs> that was the last one. Okay. Yeah. Um, right before you closed, you said that for officers that are, that are, um, struggling or, 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 or having issues, um, you know, reach out to somebody, you know, talk to somebody, go to, go to your chain of command, be on, be, be upfront, be, be, be truthful. And then your next statement was, they're not going to take your guns from you. Yeah. Well, and, that's the way it should be. And I said, and I, I, I had put a message on, on the, the Facebook page and I said to you, I'm like, that's not true because they took my gun from me. Yeah. But the difference is, is our old department shouldn't be the model for anything when it has to do with officer mental health. No, it should, no, 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 no. it should be looked at as what not to do because <laughs> when we started this podcast, uh, not when we started it, when it started blowing up and then people started to realize that this wasn't a joke, like because initially everybody was like, oh, this is going to be like only 50 Comedic people are going to listen thing. to it. And yeah. then, but when it started blowing up and it was getting a lot, a lot of listens, the, um, the person who was heading up the peer support team, uh, very nice guy, listened to the show. I don't know if he listens anymore. I haven't heard from him since, um, thought he was a good friend. I actually helped him study the, for the lieutenant's process. Mm -hmm. He got promoted. I didn't, but Hey, um, you know, um, I guess my job is done, but anyway, um, <laughs> you're there to help people. Yeah, sure. Sure. No, that's what yourself. it is. Yeah. 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 But you know, whatever. Um, so they had sat down and said that they wanted the original co-host and I to, to sit down and join the peer support team to try and bring some legitimacy to the department's peer support team. And when I started to talk to them and you tell them kind of had the same mission, you had the same, right? I said, yeah. I said, I'm not going to join something that I myself won't use. And right now in the entire, like in its current state, I would never use peer support, never, because I don't trust anybody that's on that list. And then the other thing is, is that, um, the what, if, what if you don't get along with anybody on that list? You, no, that's the problem. That. See, yeah. that's the problem. And what if you don't get along? And then the, there's a huge trust issue, which is, I can go down that list and be like, well, that person talks shit all the time behind somebody's back. This person talks shit, and 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 it's like, you know, what's the point? What I wanted to do, what I wanted to say before it, it escapes my my brain. I know, I know those of you that are, um, you know, you were saying before that when folks listen to this, there are going to be people from the LGBT community, but there are some that are not, but I want you to think about this, which is, is if you're suffering from mental health issues and you have that feeling like you can't come out and say that you're struggling or you can't come out and say, I'm on medication or that scene affected me. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of somebody that is holding on to being in the LGBTQ community, which is, is they almost have a similar kind of, they have a similar thing, which is, is the stigma that comes with both of them mm -hmm. more so on the, on the LGBTQ community side, because the, the, there's so much deep rooted, uh, there are some people that have some deep hate, hatred towards that group. And unfortunately we, but there's a lot of them in this profession, a lot of them, mm -hmm. um, in our department, I probably, there's five that I can count that have a deep, 
deep hatred towards that, which makes me sick because you're wearing a badge of authority. You're wearing a uniform. You took an oath. You took an oath. And the way that you cannibalize your fellow officers for nothing, for yeah. nothing other than a scoop. Half the things that they do themselves. Oh, my God. Contradictory uh, or, or double like, standard. Yeah. Or... Like, <clears throat> I, you know, I remember when you were still working there. Um, I remember you had a, 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 an issue. Um, as we'll talk about your relationship stuff on part two. Um, but you were going through some issues as far as your divorce and stuff like that. Uh, or separation, whatever, whatever was going on. But yet there was a person that was working for the department that had way worse of a situation, but wasn't even documented. Wasn't even spoken to like it, like it never fucking happened. Uh, again, I, 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 I know my, um, my ex-husband listens to the podcast from time to time oh. and, and, and I'm not, hi, here, <laughs> I'm not here to, 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 to bash. No, 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 I, 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 I don't want that either. No, I don't want that's, that. Yeah. And, and I don't mind talking about, you know, yes, we were married for nine years. Um, we had some phenomenal times, you know, we adopted three, three kids from foster care from the city. Um, we, we've done a lot and just over the last couple of years, you know, things got rough for us and, and, mm -hmm. and we just, we drifted apart. And, um, in that same time frame, I, I, I mean, I was always upfront and honest with my chain of command. I said, Hey, you know, we're going through some issues at home, this, you know, mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, I'm just might not, I might be off my game today and this and that. <clears throat> and, you know, I did the, uh, we can go into this part too, but like I did like everything asked me like EAP, the, the mentorship program, the, the peer support program, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I did everything that I was supposed to do. Yeah. And, um, crap, the part about being old, it goes away so quickly. <laughs> oh, did you just lose your train of thought? I did. Um, so, um, yeah, it's yeah, gone. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> well, folks, that's, uh, that's what happens when, uh, you ride a motorcycle for a police agency and suck in all of that exhaust. You sure it's not hitting yeah. my head when I fall off the bike? <laughs> it could be that, or it could be. It could be the unbelievable fucking beating that you just took from our old department. So uh, I, I think I have an idea. Is but it back? Maybe. Um, okay. Like the sort of last. Stay tuned, folks. This is going to be interesting. Two and a half years of my career mm -hmm. um, was fucking hell. Mm -hmm. And and for being upfront, being honest, and seeking that assistance, like you said, there are those people that just have that animosity, that hatred towards it. The things I went through on mm -hmm. a dis dis disciplinary issues was just it was enough to i mean i'm i, I, mean, I go to therapy I, i'm i you know i'm i'm on depression medication just mm -hmm. like everybody else in the friggin' world in the department and um that was one of the things that that we you and i talked about before mm -hmm. about you know being able to admit that being able to be upfront honest because everybody everybody's dealing with their own crap and now you have covid now you have all this other stuff it, it's going to take a toll on, yep. on anybody especially us yep and I felt punished for it. Yep. And it, it, it felt singled out. I felt singled out. I felt that I was the only one and everybody in the unit saw it. Everybody in the unit knew it. And mm -hmm. again, I, I'm not going to say that my supervisor was homophobic or, or outright, um, you know, yeah. that way towards me because I never really experienced it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm the kind of person that if, if people joke about, I can make a gay joke. I'll, I'll make I'll make the same joke myself. I'll throw myself under the bus. I don't care, mm -hmm. um, because that that that's just you know human nature. Um, and we have we had like thirteen people on a unit, so it was um, you know we were pretty close. We we're pretty tight. And um, 
everybody in my unit knew that I was being targeted. I was being singled out. Mm -hmm. It was very obvious. It was very, very obvious. Um, so that, uh, I, I will say, I think part two, I think is going to be more of, um, where did it start going? Where, what where changed, did it start when going did it from, change? Yeah. When, when did, <laughs> when did the napalm get delivered? Um, and yeah, because it, that, 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 that truly is what, what I wanted to talk about. I, yeah. I, and I appreciate the, the buildup because I think it does, it definitely helps set the yeah, stage. Well, I, I think everybody that's listening to this wants to know the backstory. <laughs> yeah. They want to know the backstory. They want to know you first before it gets to the point where you start getting heavy into um, your story because they want to be, they want a personal, they want to be personally vested into guests. And, and, and I wanted to tie, um, not only did I want to tell my story, because um, mm -hmm. it, it ties into the last episode about, you know, leadership, just beating down mm -hmm. the, their subordinates and this and that. Um, I wanted to tell my story just to kind of get it out there to, again, to relate to other people, what, what they're going through. Um, but I also wanted to tie it into, and this might be a third episode, um, the current like defund the police situation mm -hmm. that the, 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 the um, civilian review boards for law enforcement mm -hmm. agencies now. And, my story ties into that and 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 it, it i believe that this whole political movement this whole ideology of you know the police are corrupt the police are you know there's bad apples in the police we need to, we need to like you know flush them out and and we're going to make laws now where if you screw up in one department you can't you know you go to another department that whole story is going to go with you and, yep. and this and that and um i think that this whole movement is having the opposite effect yeah well i i because you're pushing out the ones that are upfront, honest. Yes. And, and the ones that are not upfront, honest are being more secretive about what's going on in their lives and what they're doing because they don't want to, they don't want to lose their job. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that in part two because, uh, Lauren is, um, is starting to write a book, which I'm super proud of him about. Um, and we'll talk about that in episode two. I even have a title. Uh, he has a title. I'm uh, so excited about it. My my mom, who's probably going to listen to this episode, she 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 helped me come mom. up with it. <laughs> um, I, it was kind of describing my journey. Um, mm -hmm. and it's not going to be like, oh, I was 12 when I moved here and I was 13. No, it, no. It, it's 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 the title basically is um is always being the good guy worth it. Mm -hmm. And then I, I'm prior Air Force, so I wanted to put you know below that Chair Force, Chair Force, Air Force, you know, Chair Force. Wait till I tell you what I did in the Air Force. And yeah. You could really make fun of me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, honor, integrity, and service before self. It, it's yeah. being that office, that that good officer that that you know you need to be and that you are. And you you serve your community, you serve your country, you 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 you, you do all these projects. And, and like I said, I, you know, when we get into like what I done in the department, where I stood, like what what my accolades were before the shitstorm. Yeah, my accolades are, are reduced to a tote with yeah. a whole bunch of shit in it. Nobody cares. And 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 the thing about it is, I get a, I the very few people that I talk to still in the department, um, say to me, they're like, "Why don't you just leave it alone? Let it go away. <laughs> leave them alone. Let let it fade into the night." And I said, "You know, the problem that I have is, is that I invested 15 years of my life in that department, and if I didn't give a fuck, and I was guilty of what they said I was guilty of." I would go away. I, you'd never hear a peep from me because the type of personality that I have, it's my pride. It's, it's, I would slink away and I would cower in the corner and I would be like, I'm such a terrible person. 
the reason why I continue to keep slamming them with FOIAs and I keep blowing up their shit every time the chief is dishonest is because the idea of police reform, I agree with, but not in the sense that most people think about police reform. I believe in police reform from the top. Mm -hmm. That's the problem right Mm -hmm. now. It has nothing to do with the knuckle dragger or street cops. No, they're the, the they're very, the very few that are that are crooked or that are, that are excessive uses of force. The problem that I have is is that these chiefs of police, they just get regurgitated from department to department to department, and they get to fucking have a long career. They can do. You can be a p- chief of police for twenty five years and jump from department to department to department for three years each time. And the hiring process for them is less stringent than it is for you or I to get hired at a police department. You got to go through fingerprinting and background and psychological and polygraph and all this other shit. You just got to get asked to the city manager and you're good to go. That's it. You just have to turn around and say that, you you know, you're a good old company boy or company girl and you're a political appointee. I know some sergeants that are like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And my personal belief, and, and those of you can disagree with me. My personal belief, belief is, is that I think that all chiefs of police should be abolished. I think all of them should be abolished, and every single police department should be uh, run by a, a sheriff, an elected sheriff with a three-year term. And you get rid of the problem by doing that. They hold no allegiance to the mayor or the city manager or county executives. They are an elected official. So they can stand up for their people without worrying about political ramification other than getting reelected. Chiefs of police are, are, are hired by the city manager, the mayor, or town council, whatever it is. So when it comes to a decision-making, they're going to do, do whatever they got to do to keep that fucking job. And therein lies our old agency. We, my got, story. we got exactly what we deserved in that department. We bitched and complained that we didn't want anybody internal to be promoted. Now, mind you, the qualified pool internally was shit. But what we got was we got a lumber liquidators warehouse discount chief of police who was put out to pasture that was out of law enforcement for seven years and came to the department. And he did exactly what he was instructed to do. He cut every deputy chief position and saved the saved the city 300 grand. <laughs> He destroyed upward mobility, which stopped promotions, heavy promotions, which saved the city money. And he got back at the people that were responsible for his wife being forced out of the department. He did exactly what we all wanted, which was we wanted somebody from outside to come in. We, we were fed a lie. Yeah, we were fed a lie. Not only we were fed a lie, but everybody bought into him being the Messiah. Well, everybody his, bought his, his town hall. When and we we'll first- be right so, you know, so I think I think the most important thing for for us to realize is, is that when it comes to police reform, I think I think if we're talking about police reform, if we're any conversation that starts with police reform and in that same sentence, police reform doesn't start with fixing the broken top of the pyramid. I turn off. I turn off when it comes like the leadership. That's what I mean. It doesn't, it doesn't it start does, there? That it should start with You it. said it doesn't. Oh, sorry. I need more ca- uh, coffee. <laughs> um, it should start at the tippy tip top. So anytime I hear anybody turn around, because I, I get customers that come in my cafe all the time and they're like, you know, how do you, what do you feel about police reform? And I go, fuck, I'm for it. And they, they're like taken back and I go, but not in the sense that you're talking about. 
What you're talking about is you're talking about reform for the cruiser, uh, the, the, the cruiser pushers. Those aren't the fucking problem. Mm-mm. Those, those are take order people. Okay. The ones that need to be reformed are the very, very tippy tip top. The ones that have been here the longest right. and hold have... them accountable, mm-hmm. hold that, hold their job accountable. They are always on probation, not a year of probation, not six months. They are always on probation. We, we and had... the collective agreement from the department, from the rank and file, should hold some sort of weight for them to keep their job. Well, in, in our department, when you got promoted to sergeant, you didn't have a field training. No, you were put God on midnights no. as a, as a brand new fucking night, dude. A brand new sergeant on just here's your badge. Oh. Tomorrow, show up at midnight and and the same night. Hopefully, the guys you work with will guide you as to Good what luck. you need to do. Yeah, pretty much. There was no training. Good luck. None. Uh, well, listen, we've got a lot of topics that we're going to talk about in part two. We're going to so talk many about different roads. Yeah. Course. We're going to talk about, um, you know, we're going to talk about, uh, the fork in the road for you career wise. Uh, we're going to get into, um, what happened, the, <laughs> what, what happened. Uh, we're going to get into all that stuff and, 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 um, I'm thankful that you trust me enough to come on, uh, with your story. I appreciate you coming on. I really look forward to part two. Um, folks, uh, you can, maybe I'll come back as a regular special yeah, guest. Maybe uh, we'll have to have a cartoon made of you. Um, so folks, uh, you can reach me at Nick at rollcallroom.com. You can reach Mike at Mike at rollcallroom.com. Um, go on rollcallroom.com. Check out uh, some of the stuff that we got on there. Um, if you're looking for some good coffee, um, check out, um, rollcallroomcafe.com. Uh, if you're looking for a couple of really good podcasts, um, William Young has a fantastic podcast. Uh, his commercial is in this um, this episode. Uh, him and um, his buddy made a commercial for us. Uh, Caffeine and Sarcasm. My buddy Logan. Uh, love that dude. Fantastic guy. Uh, check out his podcast, 10-8 Memes. Uh, Ruck Up and um hey, war stories mention your uh, fundraiser next week this weekend for uh, law enforcement united. uh we have law enforcement united fundraiser where we're selling special guatemalan coffee bean bags um and it goes towards the prince william chapter bike team for law enforcement united go on rollcallroomcafe.com a portion of the proceeds go towards um their um their ride for police week uh we're hoping to sell a shitload of bags for them uh, I really want to present them with a very, very large check. So yeah, they, 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 the money they raise goes to the families of officers killed in line of duty. I, I was a co-founder, uh, co-founder of Law Enforcement United when it, when we, when we developed the uh, organization, and it, it's a good group of guys, our officers, and they, they, yeah, they bust their butt to raise that money, and and you know they do the ride to honor those officers that were killed. So it, it's a good organization, and they'll probably be shit shocked that I promoted them but yeah (laughs) all right folks um and as always if you need to talk to somebody please reach out uh partner up with somebody that you work on shift lauren thank you for stopping by we'll see you on the next episode this is fun yeah all right folks feels weird not having a mic feels weird not having a mic There's Mike. Sure, it's not your cruiser accident. Shut up. Because <laughs> yeah, we got it.
Law enforcement suicides are at an all-time high right now. One of the causes is poor leadership within the law enforcement profession. Nick, the host of the Roll Call Room podcast, has written a book, Police Mental Barricade, A Survivor's Guide to Poor Law Enforcement Leadership. This book is a raw and powerful look into suicide and how poor leadership decisions contribute to law enforcement suicides. Buy the book now at mentalhealthbarricade.com and stop the stigma.